Well, good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, whatever it may be when you're watching and listening to this. We've uh, enjoyed some, uh, I haven't gotten to hear it, but I know it's going to be great music from uh, Allegra and Jim Woods, and also from the, uh, the praise team. Uh, last week's sermon by uh, Pastor Matt on the one and only King was terrific. As I thought about the, the video we saw last week and, and Pastor Matt's sermon, I was thinking about Jesus as the, the one and only King, the King of glory. Uh, you may know that uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 2 verse 8 says they, they crucified the Lord of glory. And, and Psalm 24 verse 10 talks about who is the Lord of glory, who is the King of glory. The Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, He is the King of glory. It's Jesus. It's, it's, he's the one that we worship. And so that's why I wanted to, this week, for Esther Allegra to sing the hymn, oh, uh, Worship the King, All Glorious Above. And that's Jesus. He and the Father are one. And then we did, we, Allegra sang, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Great hymn by Charles Wesley. I think it's the, uh, the musical embodiment of Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. And then also uh, that we had a, a reprise, a video reprise of our praise team doing the Lion and the Lamb. Again, talking about our, our glorious Lord Jesus, the King of glory, uh, who is the, the Lion who's fighting our battles, and he's the Lamb who died for our sins. So I hope you're in a, a great mood to, to worship with us this morning. So as we turn to Psalm 21, 121, let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, as we quiet our hearts and minds before you, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will be filling each one of us and making our minds and hearts receptive to the truth of your word expressed in this great psalm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, and in starting any kind of a, a public speaking, uh, uh, especially in a church, uh, I'm reminded of the story. It's one of my favorites. I hope you, you haven't heard it too many times before about the, the little Catholic boy and the little Baptist boy who wanted to find out more about each other's religions. So they decided that they would go to each other's church services on alternate weeks and find out what they could find out. And they went to the Catholic service first and up at the front, the the priest was, was crossing himself, and, and the Baptist boy asked the Catholic boy, what's, what's that mean? What's that mean? And the Catholic boy says, well, it, it's, the, it's the sign of the cross. And the, and the, and the priest is saying, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, oh, that's, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. And then the next week, they went to the Baptist service. And the Baptist preacher had a big three-piece suit on and a, and a vest, and he had a big gold watch in his vest. And after the, 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 the hymn and the prayer and he got up to preach, the Baptist pastor took this big gold watch out and put it on the podium. And the Catholic boy asked his friend, what's that mean? What's that mean? The little Baptist boy said, it doesn't mean a darn thing. So I hope, uh, anyway, I understand I have about uh, 39 minutes left and I will... Uh, uh, whether I run out of time or not, the tape will end, and so I hope this is, uh, this is enjoyable for you. I'm having fun so far. Psalm 121, there's lots of translations. I've, I've used the New American Standard version in your outline, if you have your outline, and I'll just read it for you now. I'll lift up my eyes to the hills. Many translations say mountains, but hills is more poetic. From where shall my help come? 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Uh, the first verse talks about mountains, and I, I almost, it is very interesting to be here in an empty sanctuary, but uh, if this was a Sunday school class or a Saturday morning breakfast, I would be asking you, what are, name some of your favorite mountains. Uh, for many of us here in Orange County, uh, Saddleback Mountain and the, and the San Gabriel and, and San Bernardino Mountains behind them, uh, Mount Baldy, especially on a winter day when they're covered with snow, they are magnificent. If you drive out to, to Palm Springs, you go through the San Bernardino Mountains, you see San Gregonio, San Jacinto, they are magnificent. Uh, I know Stephanie in our congregation likes to go to Mammoth. Jeannie and I and our family are going to June Lake uh, in the next couple of weeks. We drive up the eastern Sierra, that whole eastern crest of the Sierra, Mount Whitney, starting at Lone Pine, all the way up through Mammoth. That's magnificent. Uh, you can name other mountains, Mount Rainier in Washington, uh, Denali, if you've been to Alaska, the, the eastern United States has great mountains. I, I shouldn't forget the Grand Tetons, if you've been to them in Wyoming or Glacier National Park. But mountains symbolize, you know, the greatest natural wonder here on earth. And as the psalmist looks up to those mountains, uh, particularly some of the, the pagan religions at that time, the worshipers of I'm going to say it wrong, Baal or Baal, they set their altars on the mountains. So in, in terms of, well, where would your help from, from the, come from? These magnificent mountains where the pagan gods put up their, and the pagan worshipers put their idols up? Or would it come from the Lord God who made not only the earth, but all the mountains in the earth and also the entire heavens? My help, our help, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, who made all of this. And that's what I want to, to focus on. I have some, some verses there. Jeannie has told me about 5,000 times, Warren, you have too many scripture references. Don't read them all. I'm not going to read them all, and I'll try not to. But just take a look at these. It talks about the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord will bless you. The maker of heaven and earth is your help. The maker of heaven and earth will bless you. <coughs> the last two verses of, of the little book of Jude are very interesting. It says, the Lord will keep you from stumbling, will keep you from falling. He's the one who protects you. How comforting is that to know that more than the, 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 the pagan gods who don't exist, that the pagans worshipped at the top of the mountains, more than the strength and power of the magnificent mountains themselves, our help comes from the Lord who made all of this. And I wanted to just spend some time about how the Lord made heaven and earth. We know this in, in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. He, he, he made all things that there are. He doesn't live in houses made by hands. Uh, 
just also wanted to point out that in addition to making heaven and earth, God also made man. He made all of us. Uh, he made the earth and all those who dwell in it. We are, we are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Uh, as Paul said in his uh, sermon in Acts 17, talking to the Greek philosophers, in God we live and move and have our being. Um, and, and that's why I want to spend a little bit of time talking, what does it mean to say that God created the heavens and the earth? And the first question that comes to my mind in your outline there is, what happened before Genesis 1.1? Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but what it was before that beginning? I think the real beginning in the Bible is in the first chapter and the first verse of John's gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, which is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. And, and what do we know about Jesus, who was in the beginning with God? Everything was created by him. Um, I should also mention there's just a couple of other verses that talk about Jesus being with God. And don't forget the Holy Spirit. The triune God existed before anything physical, material existed. But there was God, there was Jesus, there was the Holy Spirit. In John 17, 5, in Jesus' great high priestly prayer, it's very interesting. He prays that God would glorify him with the glory he had with the Father before the world began. So before the beginning in Genesis 1, 1, God existed, Jesus existed, the Holy Spirit existed, and they then created the world and everything else. Ephesians 1 verse 4 is very interesting here too because it says God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So something else that happened before Genesis 1-1 is that God planned the salvation for each one of us who would eventually come to him and respond to the Spirit's call in him. So moving on, heaven and earth were created and it was created through Christ. And, and you read verses about the creation. It talks about how everything was created by Christ. He, it was created through Christ. And not only that, but he sustains and he upholds all things. In, in Christ, everything holds together. As Acts 17 says, in him we live and move and have our being. And you would think this would not be so hot and thirsty with no one in here, but it's a, it's a warm day. <laughs> We'll be good when we get to the verse about the sun will not smite you by day. Because it's currently about 95 degrees outside. Anyway, if, if you look at point C2 in the outline, the thing to understand is that not only did God through Christ create the heavens and the earth at the very beginning of time, but he's also sustaining and upholding and holding everything together moment by moment. If, if you got out, of the, what holds your body together is Christ. What lets you breathe moment by moment is Christ. Which lets, uh, provides you with food and water and everything else you need in Acts 17, 25 comes from God. So we think of creation as being back in the past and not not affecting us now. That's how the, the deist in the 17th century liked to think about it. They thought of God as a watchmaker who created the universe, wound it up, and let it go. No, the truth is that God in Christ is sustaining you moment by moment. 
And that's the one who can come to help you, the one who not only set everything in motion, but who also sustains you and, and upholds you moment by moment. And I wanted to move on. We know that God created the heavens and the, and the earth, but he also gave us his law. And, and to me, the, the psalm that really talks about that is Psalm 19. Uh, and you may know about that. It starts by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, and, and, and that's often tied to Romans chapter 1, where, where Paul says, you know, if you look at the created world, the universe, the starry sky above, how can you but help? You must know that a God created that. The vast reaches of space, the orderliness of it, the, the, uh, the orbits of the planets around the sun, the moon around the earth, the tides, the seasons, all animal life. If you look at all of that, it had to have been planned by a creator. That's on a macro level. Take it down to a micro level, uh, a single cell. Uh, evolutionary scientists tell us that, you know, life evolved from chemicals. That's a myth. The, the experiments that purport to prove that have been faked. They don't prove that. The tiniest, most simple, single-cell animal uh, is, is more complicated than a Buick. Okay? You can't explain going from, from inanimate material objects to life without there being a God. You can't explain going from one species to a different species without God. You, uh, you, you can't. But I don't want to bog down here on this other thing. But the other thing God gave us was his moral law. And I mentioned, if you, if you look at Psalm 19, it starts by talking about the heavens declaring the glory of God, and then it ends by extolling the praises of God's law, how perfect it is, uh, and how it does for people. And that's very similar to a, a quotation from a German philosopher, Immanuel Kant, who said, two things fill me, this is paraphrased, Two things fill me with holy reverence and ever-growing awe, the starry sky above and the moral law within me. And what I want to say about the moral law is we all know that good and bad are real. We don't, none of us really believes that moral values are relative. If we, if something is wrong, if murder is wrong, it's not a matter of a number of people taking a vote and saying, well, we believe in most cases it's wrong. It's wrong. Uh, is adultery wrong? It's wrong. And, and, the, and the only way that can be true, the only way moral judgments can be absolutely true is if there's an absolute judge who, who puts those judgments into effect. And, and that's why when we know that good and bad are absolute, we know there must be a God who makes them absolute. If there was no God, if we were only uh, animals who somehow evolved by chance running around the world, how could one animal's opinion of right and wrong be any more valid than another animal's opinion? It wouldn't be. But, but we don't view the moral law that way. We know that it's true. And that's why I think, and those are, I think, the two main arguments for, you know, a, a non-believer to really consider, well, why do you believe in God? Well, first of all, look at the created earth. Look at the sky. Uh, how could a be anything other than a creator who made all of that? 
And look at the moral law within you. You know when things are right or wrong. They're right or wrong not because you really, really think they're right or a majority of people think they're right. They're, they're either right or wrong because they line up with God's law. And that's the thing to, to keep in mind. And, and I'm at the bottom of the first page here, and I, I wanted to, to go on for, for some extra credit. Or as, as Mike likes to say, Pastor Mike, this is just for free. Mike's been doing a great job with the, the Ten Commandments, and I, and I don't want to step too hard on Mike's toes, but uh, just as, as part of the, the continuing series on the Ten Commandments, and when we get back to it, I've got three th- things here to remember about God's law. The first of all is God's law governs not only our outward actions, but also our inward thoughts and desires. And you can see that clearly, you know, you have the, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. But uh, in, in 1 John 3, it says, whoever hates his brother is guilty of murder. In, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, if you say a bad word about your brother or think of your brother as a fool, that's tantamount to murder. The Ten Commandments say you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in her heart. So God... God's law governs not only what we might do, but also everything we think and feel and desire on the inside. And, and the second point is God's law is not provided as a means for us to earn our salvation, but the purpose of the law is to lead us to Christ by making us conscious of our sin. And I think Pastor Mike has, has indicated that in our sermon series so far, but some of the verses that clearly say that is, is Romans 3.20, the purpose of the law is not for us to earn our salvation, but to make us conscious of our sin. Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about he wouldn't have known what coveting was till the commandment came and he learned what it meant to covet. Uh, uh, Galatians 2, uh, 15 and 16 talks about we know that no one is justified by works of the law. Galatians 3, 24 it says the law, the purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ. And, and I say that just because, you know, some people seem to think, well, you had the Old Testament and the law, and that was God's plan A, and that didn't work because people couldn't carry it out. So at the last minute, God came up with plan B. He sent Jesus to die on the cross because no one could fully obey the law. Well, that's, that's not it. The law all along was to drive home to us how much we fell short of God's law and to lead us to Christ. The the law is our schoolmaster, our pedagogos in uh, Galatians 2.24, who leads us to Christ. Finally, uh, in terms of summarizing uh, the Ten Commandments and God's law, I've talked about this with my good friend Jim Matson. Jim, I hope you're doing well. Uh, But you love God and you love your neighbor. And and that's clearly seen in, in Matthew 22 when the Pharisee asked Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And you can clearly see how the commandment to love God kind of corresponds to the first four commandments of the, of the Ten Commandments. And the commandment to love your neighbor kind of corresponds to the next series of commandments. But the thing to understand is how they're related. And, and really, we love our neighbor because it's part of loving God. If we love God, he's the one who commands us to love our neighbor. Um, and I've got some scripture verses there that support that. And, and the thing to understand is 
how do you summarize the law? Well, you love God, you love your neighbor. If you want to reduce it further, we love God. And part of loving God means loving our neighbor. And what that further means is that all sin is sin against God. You can see that if you, if you read in Genesis the story of Joseph uh, when he was in Potiphar's house and, and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and, and Joseph fled. And what did he say? How, how could I do this and commit such a great sin against God? It would have been a sin against Potiphar, but he, he realized it was a sin against God. Same with David when he sinned with Bathsheba and, and murdered her husband Uriah the Hittite. What did, what did David say when, when, when the prophet confronted him? He said, I have sinned against God. And you may say, well, wait a minute. You sinned against Bathsheba? You sinned against Uriah? No. If you are not satisfied with your wife and goods uh, that, that God gives you, if, if you murder another human being who's made in the image of God, you sinned against God, not just against those other people. So... We've, we've spent some time here. I, th- I think we really want to be thinking about the, uh, the fact that God made the heaven and earth. He sustains you moment by moment. And when you're looking for his help, you're really looking for help just from the one who's already taking care of you day by day and moment by moment. But let's get into some of the, the, the specific verses in, in Psalm 121. Verse 3 says, He will not allow your foot to slip. And when I think there's a couple of other verses that, that speak that way, one is, I've already mentioned Jude 24 and 25, the Lord will keep you from stumbling. He will keep you from falling. But it's also in Habakkuk chapter 3, he makes my feet like the, the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. As you daily walk with God, he, he doesn't allow your foot to slip. Now, you may occasionally fall and stumble, But we're talking about an ultimate falling, an ultimate uh, catastrophe. God will keep you from that. And as I said keep here, I realized I just skipped over kind of the beginning of uh, of my outline here. If you read all of Psalm 121, the word that keeps coming up, depending on your translation, is keep. He is the keeper of your soul. The Lord will keep you. He will keep you falling from falling. And, and when Alistair Begg uh, did his sermon on, uh, on Psalm 121, don't look it up and, and listen to it. I don't want to be compared to Alistair Begg. But he emphasized there's an old Yorkshire farmer's prayer of keep me kept. And if you look how often that word keep is used, Psalm 121 is, is kind of an expression of that Yorkshire farmer's prayer, keep me kept. He's the one who keeps you. And, and another great verse on being kept and I had it right there at the top of the first page, is 1 Peter 1, verse 5. There are different translations of that. We, 1 Peter starts with saying, we have been born into a living hope, and we have that who are kept by the power of God. We are kept by the power of God. And different translations will use other words than kept. They'll use the same words we see here. We are kept by the power of God. We are protected by the power of God. We're shielded by the power of God. Uh, the power of God watches over us, but we are kept in God's hands. He made heaven and earth. He made us. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. So anyway, back to, to Psalm 121. He will not allow your foot to sleep. He will neither slumber nor sleep. 
And there's, there's a couple of verses that really go along with that. Many of you should be familiar with the story in 1 Kings about the prophet Elijah and his fight with the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. And they, he, they got their offering ready and he challenged the prophets of Baal to call down fire from Baal. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. And so Elijah said, well, maybe Baal's asleep. Maybe you should wake him up. <laughs> but our God doesn't need to be woken up. Uh, Alistair Begg's sermon on uh, Psalm 121 talks about it's not just like God doesn't turn his cell phone off at night. <laughs> so it, it's not just that God has a, a super-duper child monitor so that even if God did doze off, the, the child monitor would wake him up if one of his children called out to him. No, God doesn't slumber or sleep. He is awake at all times. He's thoroughly familiar with what's going on with us. Isaiah chapter 40 says, you know, do, don't you know, haven't you heard, the God who made heaven on earth, he keeps Israel. He, he will not slumber. He will not sleep. He will not grow tired. He will not grow weary. He will always uphold you in his powerful hand. And he will, and Psalm 40 goes on to say, and, and, and you will rise up like with wings like eagles. God gives us his strength as well. The next point, the Lord watches over you in verse 5. The Lord keeps you. Um, God is familiar with every intimate detail of your life. There's nothing he doesn't know about. I, I, I hope this isn't too salacious, but, uh, you know, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 10 talks about the hairs of your head being numbered. That note indicates that God knows more about the details of your life than you do. And uh, the Sunday school teacher, my parents' Sunday school teacher would always amplify that by saying, the hairs of your head are numbered. That means God is more concerned about the details of your life than you are. That means God is more concerned, forgive me if this is offensive, about the sex life of a teenage boy than the teenage boy is. He cares more about those details than we do. And, and Psalm 139 goes into detail about how intimately God knows us. He knows our words, even our very thoughts, before we think them. Uh, wherever we go, if we're in church or if we go as far away as we can possibly imagine, God is there. Uh, before we were born, God knit us together in our mother's room. He knows every detail. As Ephesians 1.4 says, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He watches over us. He knows everything about us. The Lord is your shade by day and by night. Um, there's different translations uh, for different versions of Psalm 121. Uh, he, he keeps you. He watches over you. He protects you. He guards you at all times. By day or, to, or by night is a, is a poetic metaphor for all times. If, if the psalmist had been alive today, he would have said, God watches over you 24-7. Um, but the psalmist was not a techie, so he said, God watches over you by day and by night. And like I said, currently it's about 95 degrees outside. Uh, and so we know that we need shade from the sun. The moon is kind of a relief. But uh, maybe there's an intimation. Um, do any of you believe if you go out in the moonlight, you act crazy? You can become a lunatic? Uh, uh, 
Vernon McGee says something cute about he knows what he did as a teenage boy with a teenage girl when they went out in the moonlight. But uh, anyway, God protects you both by day and by night at all times in all circumstances. Number H there, the Lord will protect you or keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul. And, and to me, that, that reminded me of Psalm 23. Uh, he says, and maybe I should just read it. When all else fails, read the sources. And in the last part of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He will protect you. He will keep you from all evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So David in Psalm 23 is confronted by evil that God walks with him and protects him from. He's confronted by his enemies that, that uh, God sets a table for him in the presence of his enemies. And what's the conclusion? You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He will keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Uh, Matthew uh, 28, 20, when Jesus was ascending into heaven, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, death does not end when the Lord is with us. John 11, uh, Jesus says he is the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me will never die. John 14, verses 1 and 3, Jesus repeats that comfort. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If I go there, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I do that, I'm going to come back and take you with me so that you can be where I am. Jesus promises to be with us, and he promises to come back and, and take us to be where he is. Uh, Hebrews 13 uh, says, He will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is our helper what can man do to me? What do we have to be afraid about? The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul. Uh, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. Uh, Deuteronomy 28.6 says, The Lord will bless you as you come in and you go out. Uh, I don't know which, uh, which is more uh, appropriate, the going and then coming or coming and then going, but the point is it's like by day or by night. It's 24-7. Whatever you're doing, going or coming, coming or going, your whole life, God is keeping you and protecting you and, and guarding you. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 talks about don't worry about anything. Pray about everything with thanksgiving and what will happen? And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I mentioned Romans 8, 31 to 39 there too. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, the love of God stays with us. Nothing in all creation, heights, depths, anything. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And then the last part of, of Psalm 121 is, is from this time forth and forever and forevermore. And just, uh, you know, our life with God, eternal life with God begins when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and accept God into our hearts but it lasts forever. It's a relationship that lasts forever. Uh, uh, and, and other 
there's so many verses that talk about this. Psalm 1611 talks about experiencing eternal pleasures at your right hand with God. Psalm 23, 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Matthew 28, 20, we mentioned Jesus said, I will be with you always. Hebrew 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jude 24 and 25 says, the Lord will, will keep you from stumbling and will present you blameless in heaven with great joy. And then the end of Jude 25 is very interesting because it says, in ages past and now and forevermore. The in ages past, I think, is similar to Ephesians 1.4. God chose you before the foundation of the world. You're your status as, as God's chosen child began before the world began, and it, it continues now, and it will continue forever. So I'm to the, the very thick part here, and I can just hear my, my lovely wife, Jeannie, saying, Warren, don't read all those verses. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> but I want to talk just a, a, We've talked about Psalm 121, and if you read it quickly... I mean, what does it say? He won't let your foot slip. He'll, he'll watch you. He'll keep you. The sun won't smite you. You'll be protected from evil. You'll guard your soul. You'll guard you forever. So does Psalm 121 mean nothing bad will ever happen to you? It doesn't mean that. That's what I want to be clear about. It doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you because if it were true that nothing bad ever happens to you, why, why would you need any help? Why would you need keeping or protecting or shielding? And what Psalm 121 teaches it is our help comes from the Lord. Our Lord keeps us, watches over us, blesses us, protects us, guards us. And that only makes sense if the reality of life in the world is that we will face trials and difficult circumstances. And, and we certainly know that that's true. But what the Bible teaches is that the Lord is always going to be with you. And, and with prayer, I, I don't recommend living a moment without prayer. But with faithful prayer, the Bible promises that we can face trials and difficult circumstances with confidence. And by that, I mean confidence in God's providence, that God is in control. We can face it and experience peace. We can face it experiencing joy and thankfulness, and we can face these trials and difficult circumstances with hope. And I just had uh, a series of verses here. I'll, I, I'll try not to read them in detail, but on, on the confidence in God's providence, that God is in control. Uh, I mentioned Genesis 50, verse 20, which is what Joseph, uh, where Joseph was talking to his brothers after he revealed his identity to them. And they were very afraid that Joseph was going to take revenge. And what did Joseph say? He says, you intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. And, and Acts 2.23 and Acts 4.28 are similar, uh, talking about evil men, wicked men, put Jesus to death on the cross, but they did it as part of God's foreknowledge and plan. God is control. So, so what do these verses say? Joseph's brothers were evil. The people who crucified Jesus were evil. They had free will. They could do what they wanted. And, and when they chose to do evil, they were morally responsible. But God was in control. Whatever happens, God uses it for his purposes. And that's what Romans 8.28 says. God causes all things 
to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things aren't good. We certainly know all things aren't good, but God can take even the evil actions of, of responsible moral people that meant to do evil, and he can turn them around for his good, and he does that as part of his plan. He's in control. If you look at Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, and verses 11, you'll see God chose us to be his people in Christ before the creation of the world, and, and he, he chooses to save us, and he does this, and verse 11 says, he brings us about in accordance with the plan of him who works out everything according to the purpose of his will. God's in control. We, we, should, we should be confident in God's providence. Uh, in terms of peace, you know, the verses talk about Jesus promises to give us peace, not as the world gives, but as he gives. John 16.33 summarizes this beautifully. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. It's the most terrifying promise Jesus ever made. But he says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've told you these things so that in me, you can have peace. Jesus makes a, a similar statement at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I apologize. I don't have it here. But at the end of Matthew 7, Jesus says what? He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. But if you don't listen to my words and put them into practice, you're like a, a man who built his house on sand. And what we forget is it rained on both those houses. Trials and difficult circumstances happen to everyone, but in Jesus we can have peace. In Jesus and obeying his commands, we can build our house on the rock. Um, um, in terms of joy and thankfulness, uh, Habakkuk 3, verses 16 to 19, coronavirus is bad, but Habakkuk was praying about the Babylonian invasion of, of, of Judah <laughs> and Israel. And, and as bad as the coronavirus has been, uh, Habakkuk's upcoming situation was going to be much worse. And, and what, is, what does Habakkuk say uh, about that? Um, he says, though the fig tree, you know, the Babylonian army is going to come in, they're going to carry the Israelites off to, to exile. He says, the economy is going to truly be wiped out. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. I'll be joyful in God my Savior. We can rejoice even in the midst of these terrible circumstances. Uh, you know, Romans 5 and James 1 says, consider it all joy when you face difficult circumstances because God's building your character. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, if God doesn't take away your thorn in the flesh, Paul says he rejoices because he knows he's learning to depend on God's power. Over and over and over these verses say that. You should be, Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Uh, Colossians 2, 6 and 7, if we follow Christ, we'll be overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, uh, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances. And I also have some verses there about hope. We should, we should always be looking forward to the hope, the sure and certain hope we have in heaven with God. You know, the, the best verse about that is, is maybe Romans 8, 
18, where Paul says, I consider, Paul says, our, our light and momentary sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us in heaven. Uh, and uh, uh, well, there's so many verses. Well, I can see by the clock. I'm, I'm out of time. I, I don't have a gold watch here, but we have a digital watch in the back. Um, I hope this has been encouraging to you. If you think about your help coming from the Lord, you need to understand who the Lord is and what he's done. He made heaven and earth and everything in the earth. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. If you're breathing moment by moment, if you're walking around by moment, if you're conscious moment by moment, it's because God is upholding you moment by moment and he is your source of help. And, and the great promise of, of Psalm 121 is that not only does your help from, come from God, but he'll keep your foot from sleeping, slipping, he'll guard your life, he'll guard your soul, he'll guard you in all circumstances, and, and he will do it. He is able to do it. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your love for us. We, we praise you and glorify you for your awesome power, but we thank you for how much you love us, how you take care of us. Help us to remember that you are the one who made us, that we can always turn to you no matter what our circumstances are. We can cast our cares upon you and that you will answer our prayer and be with us even in our times of greatest trouble. Thank you for this. Pray that everyone listening may, may have a great week living in your care and for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.